This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. Can y'all hear this? I've tested the sound a couple times and I can't hear it. So I think you can't hear it, but it's the strangest thing. There is a full-blown concert going on outside of my yurt. I left Marrakesh, still in Morocco, but I'm in the desert, the Agafé Desert, not the Sahara. The Sahara is like a 13-hour drive away. And I was like, in what world? Who driving 13 hours? But the Agafé Desert is... They say a 45, but it's more like an hour 15. It's a relatively quick drive from Marrakesh. The reason that it's 30 minutes off from what the website says, but also in fairness to what Google Maps says, is because once you get to the desert, the roads ain't paved no more. I went to the desert in Dubai. Is that my first desert? It might have been. But I went to the desert in Dubai right until we drove up to the desert. It was like straight up highway, well-paved roads. Like, I mean, it's also Dubai. And they got like, you know, stupid oil money. But okay, so in my head, I thought it was going to be Dubai. But that's like, you know, a whole different country and continent. Dubai's not Africa, it's the Middle East. Okay, so I don't really know what I was thinking. Let me go back. So I'd always planned to stay five days in Marrakesh and I wanted to go to the desert. I booked the Riyadh in the Medina lovely experience. I was so happy to leave today though. Like the Medina is just wild. It was real fun and adventurous for like four days of like walking five to eight miles a day, dodging donkeys and wheelbarrows and motorcycles and children and strollers and other tourists and shopkeepers yelling at me, Rasta Pasta, Shakira, Nicki Minaj. I was like, are these only the black people that you know? Because when I was there like nine years ago, they used to yell Beyonce and Michelle Obama. And I was like, how do we get Shakira in the mix? Like, she's not black, but okay. I'm very thankful that I had the experience, but I was also very thankful when my, I can't even say my driver, when the wheelbarrow came to pick up my stuff. And then I followed him through the Medina, dodging all of the things that I just mentioned. And then he took me to a driver who, after 30 minutes of trying to drive through what I just described in a larger part of the Medina, then I was actually out. But I just needed like silence. And even though like here is not actually silent because I told y'all like there's a full blown concert. It's like Morocco's version of jazz. I don't know exactly what instrument they're playing. It's got to be in the banjo family, I believe. But yeah, it's like a full blown concert, but it's like soothing music. It's not Andre 3000 and his flute, but it's like the banjo version of it. It's relaxing. They pour a strong drink and the food is well seasoned. What more do you want? And like after the concert, it does get relatively quiet. I mean, I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's maybe like 10 other yurts on the property. And then it's just sand dunes as far as the eye can see until you get to the mountains, which are snow-capped. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. There's a particularly high sand dune on the property. And they have these steps kind of like, what are those steps in L.A.? Culver City? Kind of like that. I climbed them and was like, oh, this is why I used to like take the long way up. My legs are killing me. 
you climb up the steps and you're at like a really high peak in the desert and we watch the sunset up there. It's breathtaking. I done been a lot of places and seen a lot of beautiful shit. This was one of those moments like I was just sort of standing up there in awe and I was like, I ain't never seen no shit like this before. It's really, really beautiful. I told y'all I wasn't doing to see some Ghana trips anymore. I said I wasn't doing Ghana. I didn't say I wasn't doing nowhere else. Like I was like, yeah, see some Marrakesh, see some Morocco could happen. Like I love it here. We ain't staying in the Medina though. <laughs> That's a day trip. <laughs> it's such a lovely place. It's just so overwhelming. It's kind of like, oddly enough, I kept thinking this over and over. It's kind of like New York, not in terms of structure and buildings and things like that, but the frenetic energy of just like, there's all these people and it's just like nonstop not living in New York for so long, that feeling exhausts me. Like it used to just be, you know, like a 40 degree day. Like it was nothing. You're always moving at this super fast pace. You're always on guard for whatever adversity is coming because it's always something because it's like New York. But that's also a very similar energy to how Morocco operates. And it's a huge hustler city. They will try to hustle the fuck out of you. This man offered to sell me a bag for, he said, 170 USD. And I was like, absolutely not. We had a little bargain. I couldn't get him to a price I thought was acceptable. I walked away. And then he had his shop girl chase me through the Medina. I mean, this girl followed me for a good two minutes. And she got down to $27. And I was like, you offered to sell me a bag for 170 You got down to 27 And it's still marked up. Really? Somebody would have said yes to 170 You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. But, like, it's shit like that. Like, you just always got to be on guard. So, like I said, thankful to be out of the Medina. Really wonderful to be in the desert. I have a road trip. Just a day trip. I told you about that. To go see the studios and go see, I want to say it's like a Kaspa, I think what it's called. It's like an old town with a palace on top. Some shit you see in movies that I want to see in real life. And then I'm going back to Marrakesh for a day to stay in you know, I can't pronounce shit. It starts with a G. It's kind of like the Soho-y expat part of the city. I was over there earlier today. That section of the city is really, 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 really cute. There's a whole street named after East Saint Laurent, and it has nothing but like cute restaurants and cute boutiques. But I'm going back to that part of the city just to hang out for a couple of days and then going back to Ghana for like a week and then going to America. <laughs> oh, America. I've been watching TV. I watched the same shit you watched. We're about to talk about Usher. You didn't have to get up (laughs) at 2 a.m. I was like, I really do love this man because I really could sleep through the night. And by the time I woke up, it would have been on YouTube. But I wanted to see it live. I wanted to participate in the group chat. I wanted to be on Facebook. I wanted to see the Twitter reactions. I wanted the experience of enjoying the American football Super Bowl. We keeping it a buck. The first time I watched it, like the 2 a.m. watch, the opening scene I thought visually was breathtaking. The camera pans across all these people that look like they're in a circus or a carnival act. They're paused mid-performance. The camera goes right up to Usher. He's sitting on a throne. He's in all white. I believe that was fur. Some people said it was giving them Liberace. He stood up. Someone comes and takes the fur off. For me, that's classic James Brown. He's got on all white. It it evoked for me, what are those guys, Siegfried and, they were a real famous Vegas act forever. And then I think one of them got ate by a lion, Lions Vegas, the White Lions, they were at MGM. White Lions, 
Vegas act. You can hear my nails. I still got to cut them down. Siegfried and Roy. They used to have those white lions and they would dress in all white. I feel like that was a little bit of what Usher was giving us too. But something was off. Like, I mean, he got up. He looks fabulous. And he's all white with gloves. He took one of the gloves off later, a nod to Michael Jackson. And there were tons of nods to black male performers throughout his show. I caught Prince. That was her on the guitar. I caught Marvin Gaye, hands above his head, swiveling his hips. That's an old Marvin Gaye thing. Usher and the wife beater. That was only just a second because as soon as he took his main shirt off, he had a wife beater underneath. That's always a Teddy P reference. And then he snatched that off and he had the high-waisted pants. That's always an Al Green reference. My mother had to point that one out to me. I was showing her videos because she was in Paris and I was trying to get her to go to the second Usher show. And I was like, see, he's like the new Marvin Gaye. And she was like, shut your mouth. But she watched the videos of Usher performing and she's the one who pointed out to me. And she was like, oh, that's what Marvin Gaye used to do. Oh, that's what Teddy P used to do. Oh, that's what Al Green used to do. Like I caught some of it because I've seen old performances, but you know, she saw the shit live. But the first part of it, I was like, it's just, it's, it's like a whirlwind. Like it's going so fast. Like what's going on? Like I just, it didn't do it for me. Once Lil John showed up, I was like, okay. And one of my friends hit me and he was like, first reactions. He was like, I want my recap now. And I was like, bruh, like I, I got to watch it a couple more times and I don't have the bandwidth to go search for it and write a recap and all that stuff. And I was like, I need to like sit on it before I write on it. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. The second watch in which I could pace it, stop and play, stop and play, because I was taking notes, I enjoyed it much more. I think overall, and I thought this about the album too, which we'll talk about after we talk about the performance, I think he tried to do too much. He only had these 13 minutes for, even before I added new songs to my Usher playlist, there were 35 songs that were just like straight bangers. I feel like he tried to cram so much into this 13 minutes that literally it was snippets. Like there was a snippet of confessions. Like he sang a line. What's the song? Seven o'clock on the dot. I'm in my drop top. Literally, that's all he sang from the whole song. And I was like, I know that's like your most famous verse. That's it? That's all you giving me? Really? Really? But he just like ran through, especially the R&B sections. And then he lingered in parts that I was like, why are we here? I don't have nothing personal against Alicia Keys. You know, her voice is what it is. There's no reason to belabor the point here. She wasn't that bad at the Super Bowl. Her opening note, though, I literally cringed. And I was like, oh, my God. She cleaned it up after that. I was like, maybe she has nerves. It is the Super Bowl. It is a a gigantic worldwide platform. I'm going to give her grace on that. But also, it's not like it's the first time she's done that. That's not the point. The point is, why was she there? First, she sang a song that they have shit to do with Usher. I was like, did Usher write it? No. Did Usher produce it? No. Is Usher on it? No. And then they did like a little duet moment. And I was like, I don't need you to reenact Roberta and Donny Hathaway. Like, you could be Donny Hathaway, but she ain't no Roberta. And then they did My Boo, which of the Usher playlist that I just mentioned, My Boo is not on it. It's not my favorite song. Somebody did point out to me that My Boo, it was a big single. I think it spent six weeks at number one on the Billboard charts. And they were like, that's that's a big song. And I was like, you know, it was a bigger song? Confessions. Y'all did, y'all wasted a whole minute on my boo and literally had a line from Confessions. A line. That's the title song on an album that went diamond. And you gave it a line? My friend, my friend, I don't understand. One of my friends who worked in the industry pointed out Apple did not sponsor this halftime show out of the goodness of their heart. They're launching a new product and Alicia Keys is one of the faces of it. 
Alicia Keys is leading the rollout for Apple Vision Pro. If you have no idea what that is, I don't either. I'm looking at appleinsider.com right now. It says Apple has announced over 150 films will be available in 3D on Apple Vision Pro alongside nature and music documentaries. I guess the music documentary is where Alicia Keys comes in. It's like you put on the goggles. I had some version of this a couple years ago. They were giving them out at Leading Women Defined. But you put the goggles on your face and then you're like immersed in like a whole different world. One of my really good friends, a woman, she was like, have you watched porn yet? I was like, doesn't everyone? And she was like, no, 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 no. Like in the goggles. I was like, you're using these goggles for porn? You're supposed to be watching movies. And so she was like, nobody watches movies. Everyone's watching porn. Like you had to search really, really hard to find black people. And the black people they did have weren't attractive black people. And then also it was very male centered because you're so immersed in it. It felt like women were performing on me and that's not my attraction. So it was very like, no, thank you. I'm, I'm good. Um, but it was real. Like, I mean, it takes you into the experience. You're like, wait, whoa. Alicia Keys is the face of this new Apple product. Hence why, allegedly, I mean, it makes sense. Why Alicia Keys ends up on the stage with Usher. Because when people were talking about, I wonder what guest Usher is going to bring out. No one ever said, I hope he brings out Alicia Keys for my boo. Okay, Little John. All right, Jermaine Dupree. Ludacris, like that makes sense. People were rolling around the idea like, you know, oh my God, what if it was Chris Brown and Usher and there was like a dance off? That would be one of the greatest Super Bowls of all fucking time. Never going to happen. The NFL is never going to green light Chris Brown, even though he has the range. He has the songs. But the NFL will never green light him. I mean, even though like there's so many NFL players with abuse charges, but the NFL would never green light Chris Brown. It just it just won't happen. The point is, I was like, why is she here? I ain't got nothing against Alicia Keys. But I was like, ma'am, you were taking up precious time. You and your bright eyes and thick ass thighs. She looked amazing. Amazing. She had on like that flying dress, which I thought was a dress, but then turned out to be a cape. But then she had a cape under the cape. There was like a sequence cape under the silk cape. I'm going to just guess how the way the fabric moved, that it was silk. It was beautiful. It released the fabric. Literally, the silk cape like flew off into the audience. It was beautiful. Even Swiss Beats comments on how beautiful it was. We'll get to that. But then she had on like a sequence cape because she was still at the piano. And then she got up to sing My Boo with Usher and she took off the other cape. And I was like, God damn. Like she's always had shape. She's like a bottom heavy girl, which I mean is a compliment. Ma'am has pulled it all together. Her sound was one thing. And in fairness, after her first note, she cleaned it up. She sounded fine. She looked amazing. She and Usher like sang My Boo forever. And I was like, y'all going to sing the whole song, like all the verses and the chorus. No one asked for this. They did a little snuggle cuddle at the end. And people were like, look at Usher. Can't keep his hands to himself. Fucking up another relationship. People were clowning Swizz. Usher trying to steal your girl. Don't leave your girl around me. Swizz Beats actually had to address it and was like, hey, hey. He was like, y'all talking about the wrong thing. He was like, y'all not talking about how beautiful that cape looked. By cape, do you mean your wife's thighs? I'm just saying. But he was like, everything's good over here. Come to the Brooklyn Museum and see our art collection. Bye. <laughs> I hope I can make it up to Brooklyn while I'm home. Usher allegedly got married. He filed for a marriage certificate. Like, that's on record. But as of right now, it's like 828 on Monday night. But as of right now, neither TMZ or People has been able to locate an actual marriage license. They have two kids together. If they are indeed married, as there is much speculation that they are, I believe this is his 
third marriage, third time's a charm. I have a cousin who got married one, two, three, four times. She like my mama age. With the fourth one was the charm. She'd been with the last husband for 20 years. She found the one that worked for her. I hope the third time is a charm for dear cousin Usher. I want to see the wedding photos. I just want to see him in his wedding tux and I want to see what she wore. I just, you know, I like looking at wedding photos. Ain't got no desire for a husband, but love weddings. I think it's the budget. I like to see a budget well spent. It just, I don't know. Oh, Jermaine Dupree. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. He had on these short pants <laughs> and some like some little girls Easter socks and some loafers, I think. And I, I was like, wh- why? <laughs> why? Somebody pointed out later and they were like, well, you know, with Usher, like it kind of felt like he was giving us Vegas and and showgirls and the carnival acts and things like that. And they were like, I think that Jermaine Dupree was trying to channel that he was the maestro or or the ringleader of like the circus or the carnival because he's the producer. He puts it all together. So like, you know, there's overlap. And I was like, no, no, mm-mm. he should have just worn like, I don't know, a top hat or something. I was like, he's wearing baby's first Easter suit. I'm mad at him. I'm mad at his stylist. I'm more so mad at him though. Cause like when the stylist brought this to you and was like, hey, this is the vision. He didn't look at those short pants and be like, I'm a grown ass man. Why am I have on a suit made of shorts? Pharrell does shit like that. But Pharrell also just be on his own shit on a regular basis. Jermaine Dupree don't really be on like, you know, on a whole nother dimension. I don't know what Jermaine Dupree was thinking. Because every time I look at the outfit, I think like something else. I saw somebody was like, oh my God, he's like a black Oompa Loompa. And I was like, accurate. Accurate. The accuracy is accurate. I don't know what he was thinking. And then he tried to justify it. (laughs) He saw the whole internet laughing at him. And he was like, I couldn't respond because I was, you know, at the Super Bowl. and, And I was drunk last night. He posted a picture of the socks, like a close up. So we could see that they're actually not ruffles. It's like a fold over. It could or could not be a pocket with like a pearl button. It's ridiculous. But they're Louis Vuitton socks. Louis Vuitton is written on the foot of the sock. He posted a picture of his foot in the sock. It looked like a child's foot. And the sock was too big. I was like, sir, sir, what you will not try to do is convince me that this shit is hot just because it's expensive or because it has a designer label on it. No, it's ugly and it costs too much. That's a horrible combination. I was like, you too damn old to be like, well, it's Louis Vuitton. So, no, it's ugly. You know I love me some Louis. It's ugly Louis. I ain't got nothing against Jermaine Dupree other than fumbling Janet. But other than that, I don't have no real issues with him. He's an amazing producer. Who really is a grown-ass man? I was like, it's Louis Vuitton, though. <laughs> Sir. Go get drunk again. Go to the studio. You, you and fashion are not friends. I knew Pharrell had something to do with it, too. Apparently, the socks are from Pharrell's latest men's line. Pharrell can get away with that. Jermaine, bruh, don't do that no more. <laughs> don't do that no more. I don't know what he was thinking. We talked about how you rushed through the songs. He gave us a line from Confessions. He gave us literally a line from Nice and Slow. He gave us a little more from Let It Burn. And then he got to You Got It Bad. And this is, you know, one of my favorite parts of the show. It's like the disrobing of Usher. He has on this sequence jacket that snaps at the shoulder. So he unsnaps the jacket and then it's Usher and his wife B. And I was like, okay, 
You can see the guns, right? Like he's been doing his push-ups and his pull-ups and things like that. Okay. But I didn't get a chance to like take that in. And he starts taking off his shirt. And I'm like, baby, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Take it slow. We ain't got no rush. We ain't got a rush. I know we ain't got a lot of time, but we ain't got a rush. That part of it was just too fast for me. That's the only part of the show that I actually felt like was a, I wouldn't even say like a miss. But I was just kind of like, what is this? Like, just wait, wait, what's happening? I'm so confused on what's happening. He was just like running through the set. Even the way he was dancing. And I was like, bruh, like you're singing love songs. You're singing R&B. You're singing slow songs. And then everything is just so fast paced and frenetic. I was like, ah. Then her comes out. I love her. She only played the guitar. She didn't sing. Usher and her have a song together on the new album. Technically, it was on the Color Purple album, and then it was also on Usher's album. It's a song from the Color Purple. It's a fine song. I didn't add it to the playlist, only because I don't need to listen to it on repeat for eternity, but it's a strong song. And she played the guitar beautifully. She came out, and I knew it wasn't Northwest. Like, I, I immediately identified, and I was like, okay, it's her. Her and Northwest have, like, serious overlap. Like, her is, like, the grown version of Northwest. Her has sweet energy, and Northy is known for being a little more, like, sassy pants. She's a kid, though. Like, she's developing social skills. And, you know, her mama not black, and her black grandma is deceased. There's some cultural differences. We don't have to deny it. We can speak freely about it. I say all that to say North and her are, like, the same person 20 years apart. The skaters. Usher brought the skaters out. Anybody who's gone to see the show in Vegas or Paris, skating is a big part of the show. I would have been very disappointed. Somebody told me, I didn't see it. Somebody said Usher almost fell. He tried to skate through. The person said someone's legs. And then a commenter followed up and they were like, you mean Will I Am? Yo, I was texting with a friend while the show was on. And I literally said out loud before I even texted. And like, I'm in this riad where sound travels really bad it's past two o'clock in the morning and there are children in the riad and i yelled i was like is that kanye i really thought what i am was kanye and i was like oh, okay like he and jermaine have been having some snacks it's fine i too like to snack right now i'm in a non-snacking phase but i had to be in a non-snacking phase because i was in a heavily snacking phase it's a part of life it's okay no judgment but really i was like is that kanye I really didn't know who it was until this morning. And I was like reading the news articles and I was like, oh, that's who that was. Totally didn't recognize him. Did not know who that was. The group chat had ruled out Kanye, but we weren't quite clear on who. Usher's first Super Bowl stage was with the Black Eyed Peas. So he brought Will I Am back out when he got his own Super Bowl stage. I was very thankful when Little John showed up because he brought the energy I was looking for. I think parts of the show seemed very low energy. I thought it was very low energy the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, like I was actually looking at Usher go. It's like he's moving in fast forward motion for parts of the show. He's doing a lot. He's moving a lot. But for some reason, it still felt low energy. I was like, I don't know if that was the sound because there was definitely an issue with the sound or the camera angles. Like, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But I thought maybe it was just me until Little John showed up and did what Little John does. I wouldn't say lighten the mood, but like, I don't know, made the mood bigger. There were stripper poles at the Super Bowl. Not the first time. Didn't Jenny and Shakira have a stripper pole? White folks lost their mind over that too. But Usher, he is from Atlanta. He reps Atlanta wherever he goes. One criticism you can never say about Usher. Oh, that nigga got fancy. He act like he don't know us no more. No, he doesn't. 
No, he doesn't. He act like he ain't never left, <laughs> which is part of the reason everybody loves him. Like the last part of the show, Usher seemed to, I don't want to say wind it, but there was like a whole like dance segment towards the end that he didn't participate in. It just seemed, I don't know, like he was supposed to and he opted out. He did actually, let me just be honest. He did seem a little winded. I mean, but he had done so much. But I was also like, you could have done less, babe. You could have done less and it would have been fine. But he did get a second win. It closed strong. Luda came out and did his verse on Yeah. And then the final shot is all of Atlanta on the stage, jumping up and down, doing A-Town stomps or rockaways or whatever they're doing. But like you can see the stage like shaking and bending. And I was like, oh my God, the stage, the stage. Like I was genuinely worried until the camera pulled back and it was over. Shout out to the Kappas that were on stage with Usher. People kept talking about Usher's shimmy, and I was like, did I miss it? I mean, he did a little something, but I was like, I expected Usher to give like a full cap of shimmy, or at least the cap is in the back. And I was like, I see the canes, I see the stepping, and I was like, I'm here for the shimmy, sir. Where is the shimmy? I saw a woman on Facebook. She was in the comments section. She was making a very strong argument for Colin Kaepernick nods in Usher's performance. Some of them, I was just like, sis, you're reaching. Like she said, Alicia Keys' dress, she was like, it was red because it was acknowledging Colin Kaepernick. And I was like, it's probably red because it's kind of like the core color for both Super Bowl teams. And that flying cape is very Diana Ross from her own Super Bowl. I've been watching Super Bowl performances the last couple days to figure out like where Usher fits the top five, by which I mean black people who have performed. It's always Michael Jackson, Prince, Beyonce. Oh, Dr. Dre. I don't like Dre for obvious reasons, but that was a great Super Bowl. Bruno Mars. Everybody mentions that one. It's like the black top five. And I was like, y'all need to put more respect on Diana Ross's name. Multiple outfit changes, 50 million people, and left in a helicopter. A helicopter descended into the stadium and picked her up and took her away. I was like, it was iconic. She had this flowing gold caftan, like she was up on a um a platform, and then the caftan like flowed all the way down to the floor, and it was blowing in the wind. It was fabulous, so over the top. But I was like, put some more respect on the boss, Miss Ross. But the woman was making the argument. She talked about Alicia's cape. I didn't agree. She said Luda's fro was a nod to him, and I was like, mm, I feel like that's a reach. They're both men with long hair. They both go back and forth between cornrows and like big hair. She said the Kappas were a nod to Kaepernick. And I was like, I can see that. I can see that. I also think it's big HBCU culture. Usher, Atlanta, Atlanta, HBCU, HBCU, Black Greek letter organizations. Okay, that makes sense to me. I'm not mad if there were shout outs to him. I just didn't see it or think about it. I think I covered most of everything. I said this on social media. It just bears repeating. I thought it was a fine show. I didn't think it was great. I thought it was good. I don't think anybody embarrassed themselves, which is huge because people have done it before. I didn't think it was exceptional. When I saw Usher in Vegas, I thought it was exceptional. When I saw Usher in Paris, I went on like Sunday and then went back on Thursday because I thought it was exceptional. I got in the pit the second show. I, I told you about this when I did it. I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in here with like the crazy super fans. And somebody had to gently point out and they were like, do you not think that you're one of the crazy super fans? Like you just... You went on Monday and Thursday, sis. Like, you flew back from Bali. Like, you, you took, like, a 24-hour flight to see Usher. It's like, points are made. I, I hear you. I, I see where you could be going with that. I saw people being like, oh, it's, like, in the top five of Super Bowl shows. And I was like, is it? It was solid. I'm going to talk about the album in a minute. I actually have to run out because I haven't had dinner yet. 
It's 8.53. I think dinner is over at 9.30. But more importantly, there is a fire show that starts at 9. And I need to go look at the fire. But when we get back, we'll talk about a theme that is emerging with current Usher. The doing too much thing we kind of hinted at earlier. We need to talk about that a little more in depth. All right. I'll be back. Listen to these commercials while I'm gone. So in addition to doing the Super Bowl, and I guess probably because he was doing the Super Bowl, Usher, he did the Super Bowl on Sunday, obviously. He dropped a new album, Kingdom Come, on Friday. It's 20 songs, which is long, I think, for an album. I did a review of it that I posted on social, definitely on Instagram and both Facebook pages. Out of the 20 songs, I think maybe there were eight that I thought were really amazing, top-tier Usher There were another maybe five that were strong songs. They just weren't my particular taste. There was really only one that I was like, what the fuck? Big, if you have the album, I think it's number 11. It's just an absolutely horrible song. I don't understand how this got beyond the demo phase. Like when somebody brought it in and was like, hey, let me play this for you. I don't understand how Usher or the production team or whoever was like, yeah, 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 let's record that. Like, why did you even record it? It's terrible. There's just a lot of filler on the album. So it's getting mixed reviews. Anything that comes out from one of my favorite artists, I listen to it straight through maybe two or three times. And I just take my favorite songs and make a playlist. So in my head for this Usher album, I've got eight new songs that I've been playing on repeat. I think it's a phenomenal album, but I've also cut 12 tracks out of it. I think if he had narrowed the album down to the 10 to 12 strongest tracks, I think we'd be having a conversation about whether this was another classic. I don't know if we could say on par with Confessions, but it would be up there. But I bring that up because of the same thing that I said about Usher's performance at the Super Bowl. I feel like he tried to do so much that it ended up being not enough. I read a review of my review of his Super Bowl performance, and they were like, what more do you want from him? Like, he's got people flying through the air. He's got outfit changes. He's got roller skates. He brought seven celebrities. He brought out Kappas. He brought out the Jackson State Band. He did all this stuff. Like, what more do black people want? Like, you just can't make everyone happy. And I was like, it's not a matter of giving us so much, which thank you for wanting to give your your best and your greatest and everything you've got to your audience. Like, I get the mindset of it all, but also in just like doing all that, it starts to feel like you've thrown in everything but the kitchen sink. And I'm like, the album needed a similar edit as the Super Bowl performance. Someone pointed out to me, they were like, you know, Usher's an independent artist now. He may feel that he has to have a little something for everyone. If he puts out this hardcore R&B album that is for his fans that came up with him in the 90s, Will his new fans, the Gen Z fans, will they engage? Will they buy? Because you need that cross-generational buy-in to move units. The same thing with the Super Bowl. You're not just talking about 5,000 or 10,000. I have no idea how many people were seeing him in Vegas. Whatever it was, even if it was 100,000. The Super Bowl, I think I saw the numbers. It was over 130 million people watched the Super Bowl. It's the most watched television event in history. It's bigger than all the other Super Bowls, and it's bigger than who shot JR. We're talking like 100 million people. 
He's trying to appeal to all sorts of people, all different races, all different classes, all different ages, all different sections of the country, all different interests. And it's a big task. So I think his thought process was like, well, I'll give a sprinkle of everything so that everybody gets a little something. And I feel like in that approach, everybody was left wanting a little more. I I shouldn't say everybody because I've seen a ton of people be like top five. Loved it. Thought it was amazing. Charlemagne was on The Breakfast Club and he was like, Usher's in my top five. And I was like, okay. I'm an Usher fan. I'm, I'm never mad at anyone praising Usher. Even though I didn't particularly love the performance, I still love Usher. I still love what he did in Vegas. I still love what he did in Paris. I'm still trying to get tickets. The DC thing didn't work out yet, but he just added two more shows. He was supposed to kick it off in DC, which obviously convenient because I'll be home all summer but now he's kicking off in Atlanta and I was like oh Usher in Atlanta for the kickoff of his tour I could figure that out Atlanta's right there plus I love Atlanta I just can't stay there for more than 72 hours either turn into a hole or be dealing with one like it just it's not a good situation (laughs) I'd move there but my life would fall apart like I can't focus when I'm in Atlanta Hmm. I just picked up my phone I saw Hillary Clinton gave a shout out to quote Taylor's boyfriend in the entire Kansas City Chiefs community. Did they win the Super Bowl? It's Tuesday. I literally have no idea, nor do I care. We need to talk, I think, a little bit, if we have time today, about Taylor Swift's boyfriend and his anger management issues and how I'm confused, not really, how he's not being referred to as a thug. He ran up in his coach's face Head coach, not one of like the B-list coaches, like like the big boss. He ran up on his coach during the Super Bowl and was screaming in his face to the point that his face had turned red and the veins were popping out in his forehead. Coach had no reaction whatsoever. This lets me know Travis has done this crazy shit before. One of his teammates comes and grabs him from behind and pulls him away from the coach. Also worth noting, he goes up on the coach. He's not just screaming him, but he uses his big-ass, athletic, professional athlete body to bump up against his coach, who's pot-bellied, gray hair. He's an old man. So physically intimidating and also screaming at him, enraged. There's a press conference afterward. The coach was like, it's not a big deal. Passion in the moment. They asked Travis and the coach, they said, what was exactly the issue? Travis deflects, makes a joke out of it. He was like, I was telling him how much I love him. The coach was like, eh, he's a passionate kid. That's who he refers to Travis as. I was like, hold on, how old is Travis, Kelsey? Because Taylor's 35. He's 34. He called him a kid. He just wanted to get in the game. He wanted to score. Think nothing of it. Really? I don't watch football like that. I did see Antonio Brown, who all I know is from, you know, him being quote unquote allegedly problematic. And he was like, I would have been fired immediately from the NFL if I had done that shit. And I was like, he's right. He's right. Any big black player, maybe Russell could get away with it because he's known as like a sweetheart. Anybody else that jumped in their coach's face like that, their head coach at that, there would be nonstop headlines about thug behavior. There would be all these dog whistles about black players being violent and lacking discipline, lacking sportsmanship. We've seen it for so much less. Angel Reese. They call Angel Reese all sorts of unsportsmanlike. She's a thug, undisciplined. They question everything about that girl. She didn't jump in somebody's face screaming at the top of her lungs, veins popping out of her head. Travis has a fucking tantrum 
on the sidelines. And everyone's like, oh, he was just passionate. It was a high stakes game. Like a lot of emotions were involved. Yeah, it's a high stakes game. Yeah, there were a lot of emotions involved. He was the only one enraged yelling in his coach's face. I've seen commentary in some spaces, not in mainstream spaces. I would say on the the far spectrum of the feminist circles, pointing out if he acts like that in public on someone who is professionally superior to him, because he's a player. I mean, he might be a star player, but the coach is who's supposed to be in charge. If he'll lose it like that in public on a professional superior and on another man, what is he doing in his interpersonal relationship? They pointed out he has this big blow up and the coach has zero reaction. The observation was he's done this shit before and he probably does it all the time because the coach had no reaction. Even if there are other players who have screaming meltdowns, someone who's not known to have a screaming meltdown suddenly has one, you're startled because you don't know exactly what they're going to do next. Now, in fairness to Travis, that the coach had no reaction also means he knows Travis is only going to get but so physical. But I was like, that shit not normal. Football or not, because again... There's like, what, 80 other football players present? At least on the field, none of them are having this reaction. Just him. But the fringe feminist circles, it hasn't, it hasn't filtered into the mainstream. They were saying he clearly has anger management issues and they are afraid for Taylor Swift's safety. And as Taylor Swift is uplifted as this role model, she has tons of followers that are young women, that she should really rethink her relationship with this guy after seeing his rage, his inability to control his emotions. They're saying that's a red flag, which they're probably right. They're saying Taylor Swift should make an example of this situation. She should show what it's like to walk away from a red flag. She's not going to. Most women wouldn't, I don't think, to see a man flip on another man like that. If he flipped on another woman in front of you, you might be like, oh, you have no boundaries. Um, But the idea is like the way that men engage with each other is very different than the way they engage with the opposite sex. And I'm like, "Mm." people react to buttons push. Um, I think when you're that level of enraged, you've lost self-control. I don't think it really matters to you whether the person you're losing it over or about on is a man or a woman. But time will tell. I'm just shocked. Not really shocked because America, America's. But I just, I'm like, where are the headlines about him being a thug? Where are the, where are the headlines about his suspension? Oh, oh, they won. And he's uber popular and he's Taylor Swift's boyfriend and he's generating a shit ton of money for the NFL. So nothing's going to happen to him. But I'm like, we're not going to even try to pretend we're not racist. We're not going to even try to pretend there's not a double standard. We're just going to do it out in the open. Oh, okay. Like he really did that shit on Sunday. And because he won, everyone's overlooking it to the point that like Hillary Clinton, a staunchly proud public feminist, and you're sending a shout out to a dude who clearly has, I don't, I'm done. So back to this Usher album. <laughs> I did a review of it on Instagram. You know, like 60,000 people read that review. You know, like damn near 60,000 people read that review. My top two are Bop and Ruin. He's got a couple songs on here that are like straight up trifling. Trifling Usher and Conflicted Usher are my favorite ushers. There are a couple other songs that I would probably like really love that I just liked. Because some of the lyrics were just like too vulgar for me. And I like vulgar shit. Don't get me wrong. I like filth and raunch as much as the next person. Y'all know I do. But I don't like like my filth and my love songs to overlap. I came up on Maxwell and D'Angelo. But also on Little Kim and Trina. I just need my love songs to be loving. There's some song on the Usher album. 
It's not actually Usher. It's 21 Savage's verse. I never really paid attention to the lyrics until I was listening to it in my headphones. You know, he's telling the girl that, like, we broke up, but everything's still good. Like, I still pay for your lipo. And I was like, is that where we are with the love song now? Not like, I'll pay your rent. I'll buy your clothes soon as I get home from work. Not, I'll cry for you. I'll pay for your lipo. Okay. Not okay. There's another song. I was really, really into it. And then he said something about, like, I can't wait to, like, bury my bone in you. It's, it's too much. Aaron Hall is a filth monster. But even Aaron Hall would, like, make fucking sound like lovemaking. I'm like, can you make it sound pretty for me? Can you give me some romance? I mean, you're singing for heaven's sake. Save the vulgarity for hip-hop. It's up there with eat the booty like groceries. Do what you do. But can you, can you give it a metaphor? <laughs> simile like a euphemism something make it sound make it sound sexy not like gross give the album a listen if you haven't already let me know what your favorite songs are let me know if you love the album overall or not what else do we have do we want to save that for next week no we can add it i've been doing the episodes a little longer than usual let me know if you like it because i know when i was doing them in like 30 35 minutes people were like more more and i'm like now i'm doing more are you like less less your boy, Jonathan Majors. I can't claim him. I can't claim him. The New York Times ran an article, a new article, a fresh article, four days ago. It's entitled, Jonathan Majors had a history of abuse in relationships, women say. This is also different than the Rolling Stone article that came out last year before he went to trial. This is, again, February 8th. We're, we're at February 13th now. The article is by Melina Ryzik, R-Y-Z-I-K. The New York Times notes that the writer spent more than four months interviewing people across the country who knew or worked with Jonathan Majors. The first paragraph notes that although Jonathan Majors was found guilty in December of harassing and assaulting his girlfriend, that he's maintained his innocence. They pointed out the television interview we talked about two episodes ago where Major said that, quote, he never struck a woman. The New York Times believes that to be a lie. They note that in pretrial statements to the prosecution and separately in interviews with the New York Times, a former girlfriend, Emma Duncan, she's putting her name out there. She's accused Majors of emotionally and physically abusing her. She says he choked her threw her around, and bruised her. There's another girlfriend, Mara Hooper. She says Jonathan Majors abused her. And each of them described him as, quote, a controlling, threatening figure who isolated them from friends and career pursuits. This is Emma's story. She was engaged to him from 2015 to 2019. So ex-fiance. She says that she and Jonathan were driving, sounds like they were on a road trip, when they began arguing. She says Jonathan, quote, threatened to strangle and kill her, one of several instances when violence loomed early in their relationship. She says later that same month, she went to visit Jonathan Majors in Santa Fe, New Mexico, when he was filming a movie. She said during the trip, she discovered messages between Jonathan Majors and another woman on his Apple Watch. She says when she confronted him, 
He threw the watch out a taxi window. She said when they got back to the hotel, she started packing her things. She says Jonathan Majors pushed her into the couch and began to choke her. He also said, I'm going to kill you. He also said, I'm going to make sure you can't have children. He threw her across the room. When she tried to leave, he apologized. His lawyer acknowledges the part about throwing the Apple Watch out the window. The lawyer says that this part about him throwing her around and threatening to kill her and all that, she says that didn't happen. She says that her client, Jonathan Majors, acknowledged that he and his ex-fiance had many serious arguments. She acknowledges the relationship was, quote, toxic. And she says her client is now, quote, choosing to take responsibility for his own part in that toxic relationship, focusing on himself and addressing his lifelong depression. There was another incident. They were living in Harlem at this time. She stayed with them after the Apple Watch incident. She says that she and, and Jonathan got into an argument and he slammed her body into their mailbox. A mailbox in Harlem? He slammed it like they were in the mail room or they were like in the vestibule. I'm just trying to picture what that means. Whatever he slammed her into, allegedly, he had no business handling her that way. Full stop. Also, I'm just trying to picture in my head like what she's describing. She said she had bruising on her back and arms and pain afterward. She also said Jonathan threatened to kill himself, a threat he repeated in later altercations. How many were there? Jonathan Major's lawyer debunks this as well. She says the ex-fiance, Emma, was trying to stop Jonathan Majors from harming himself. And in the process of doing this, they both fell into the mailbox. What? Fast forward a year, because they were together for four. Same woman, the ex-fiance, says Jonathan Majors threw her to the ground and bruised her forehead with his. So like a headbutt? Jonathan Majors' lawyer denies this. There's another incident in April 2018. Emma was unavailable by phone for about 40 minutes while she was at a friend's birthday party. When Jonathan got in touch with her, he told her she should kill herself. Fast forward, she's still with him. February 2019, she says Jonathan Majors flipped a table and broke chairs in their apartment and destroyed belongings and family heirlooms when Emma tried to end the relationship. She stayed. Later that year, she found out that Jonathan was, it says, continuing an affair. So she knew he was cheating. She thought he was cheating, but found out, but then found out he hadn't stopped. So she confronted him, and she says he made a fist and said, don't make me punch you. She left the relationship not so long after. His lawyer denies all of this, except the flipping of the table. She said he flipped his own flimsy fold-up table. It's still crazy. Whether it's a flimsy table, whether it's a sturdy table, to flip a table in a fucking argument, it's crazy behavior. That ain't normal. If you do that shit, get help. If you wish somebody to do that shit, I say things like I'm joking, but I'm actually very serious, get help. You need it. So does the person who did it. But you ain't safe. All right. So the next part of this article is about the the previously mentioned Miss Hooper. The Times notes that his relationship with his ex-fiance and his relationship with Hooper overlapped. 
although neither of the women realized this. Ms. Hooper said when she began dating Jonathan Majors, she said, quote, he quickly expressed deep love, but also became controlling, dictating where she could go, who she could socialize with, and how she could behave. She was, quote, not allowed to speak to anyone about their relationship, isolating her from a support system. The Times talked to one of her Yale classmates. She described Miss Hooper as, quote, a shadow of herself. Major's lawyer commented on this relationship. She said that her client is embarrassed by some of his jealous behavior. Miss Hooper got pregnant while she was dating him. She told Jonathan that she had scheduled an abortion in two weeks. He dropped her off at a clinic where he was advised that she would need an escort home. When she called afterward to pick her up, he said he was heading to a rehearsal. She said because she knew he wouldn't tolerate her discussing the situation with any of her friends, she didn't call them. At the clinic, she pretended to have an escort and she walked herself home. His lawyer doesn't deny this. She offers an explanation instead. She says that Jonathan and his then girlfriend at the time were both in the same show and they agreed that they could not both miss the rehearsal And so she would find her way home after the procedure. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You can't even be bothered to come get me from the clinic because you have a rehearsal? Nigga. His lawyer said of the termination, it's a deeply sad event and still a painful memory for Mr. Majors. We're at 2015 now. It says Ms. Hooper confronted Mr. Majors with evidence that he was having an affair. He consistent. She alleges that he threatened to kill himself. She says a year later, after they had split up, Jonathan learned that she'd had a brief relationship with someone he knew. He called her and berated her, calling her a whore and saying, I hope you die. Kill yourself. I'm going to rip you out of my heart the way they ripped our baby out of you. His lawyer says he regrets saying hurtful things in that moment, but does not recall the specific things he said. Miss Hooper submitted her journal where she wrote about the incident at the time to the New York Times. The Times reports that the lengthy phone call between she and Majors caused, quote, residual trauma and suicidal ideation. Yeah. This is the second article, lengthy feature article. The other one was in Rolling Stone. We talked about that one when it came out. Y'all still want to argue with me that this man don't beat women? Because if you ain't beating on nobody, I can't see you coincidentally having a conviction for beating on somebody and in two different major and credible publication. The New York Times talked to 20 people conservatively because I don't feel like looking up the Rolling Stone article. Rolling Stone said they talked to at least 20 people and it might have actually been 40. Even if there's overlap, you can't find 20 people who would accuse me of beating with somebody because I don't beat on nobody. You might find one person who's a hater and be like, oh, that bitch beats people. Possible. You're not going to find 20 They're not going to have evidence. They're not going to have journal entries. They're not going to have people to back them up. They're not going to have witnesses because I don't beat people. You can find 20 people that said I cursed them the fuck out. 
I don't really do that anymore, but there was a time, but a good 19 of them deserved it. I'm just saying. The people are like, oh, there's a conspiracy. They're trying to take the black man down. The black man, a lot of people accusing him of being physically and emotionally abusive. He took himself down. The shit he did in the dark is coming to the light. That's not taking somebody down. That's holding them accountable for the shit they did. Everybody loves to yell about accountability, accountability, accountability until somebody's actually being held accountable for their dumb shit. We're not talking about minor relationship blips, frivolous shit. Like we actually talking about like abuse. People aren't accusing him of being an asshole. That's not a crime. Beating on people. I don't care how great an actor he is or how great an actor he thinks he is. I am a great man. I wish a nigga would say that shit to me. Sir, you are an actor. You ain't even Denzel playing Malcolm X. If Denzel wanted to be like, I am a great man and I am a credit to my race. Like, I'd be like, well, all right, motherfucker. All right. You playing Malcolm X and shit, but you getting a little ahead of yourself. Stop it. He's a good actor. I liked him in Lovecraft. I liked him in Creed. But sir, sir, you ain't no Denzel. (laughs) Could have been. Maybe. It's like, you ain't no William on This Is Us. <laughs> you ain't no Ron Cephas. You ain't no Big Brother Almighty. <laughs> okay, I'm becoming silly now. That's our episode for this week. I'll be back on Friday. I should be back in Ghana by then. I'm sitting in my yurt. It's getting warm in here. I need to open a window. It was cold as fuck last night. But I really like it here. I'm kind of debating extending my trip so I can stay in the yurt for another couple days and then also still go on my road trip and then also be able to spend like an extra day in like the Soho-y part of Marrakesh. I think that's what I want to do. But I also don't want to go back to Ghana and then have five days before I get on like a transcontinental flight. (sighs) All right, let me go edit this and then, you know, figure out my life. Oh, happy Valentine's Day. It's tomorrow. I hope you're doing something special to celebrate. For the partnered people, wonderful. For the unpartnered people, wonderful. I wish you all a celebration of love. Do me a favor. Do something fabulous to celebrate the day. All right. Talk Friday. Bye. Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing... It's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code free, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code free. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code free. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors LLC and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks.